Hi, welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. And I want to know, do, you, do any of you remember the song that the seven dwarfs would sing in the Disney classic, right? The Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And so if you, if you know it, if you, it's called Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho. Now, so, so, so sing it. Can you sing it with me? Ready? Here we go. Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho. <laughs> yes. Oh, hi-ho. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Okay, but okay. <laughs> some of you are like so good at the whistle. They're like, yes. Listen, did you know that the words are not, it's off to work we go? Those aren't the words. It's not the words. The actual words are, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Some of you are like, I don't believe it. I've been singing that for 40 years. Okay, you want to check it? Let's go to the videotape. Listen, it's interesting because so, so many of us mistakenly like, believe that song said one thing for all these years, and it really says something totally different. It's not about going to work. It's about coming home from work after a, a, a vibrant and satisfying day of work. That's what it is. In the same way, so many of us have misunderstood these lyrics. There's, there, there's a sense of which we misunderstand what God really says to us about work. And so we're launching a series today to talk about work and how it intersects with your life, what it means to your life, what it means to God, what kingdom work really looks like, what your job and your career and how they intersect with God's purpose and his life for you. And so we're calling this series Work Life, and we're kicking it off today, and we're going to kind of dive deep into it, because so much, here's what I believe, as a pastor who interacts with people, so many of you, you get lost in your work. Like your work, just you get lost in it, and some of you, many of you, many of us leave, actually leave God out of our work. And so today I want to start breaking down our 24 hours, right, that, that we all have. Nobody has more time or less time. We've all got the same amount of time. And so 24-hour day, the average person sleeps eight hours a night. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm not average. I'm not counting college students or people who have parents who have infants, right? They don't sleep as much. Most of us get less than eight hours, but the average American also works 
eight hours a day. All right, so it starts to stack up, right? Most of us work more than eight hours, you know, and when you add it up for the week, more than eight hours a day. And then you have to add the time it takes you to get to and from your job. And the average commute in the Austin area, this was kind of surprising, the average commute is 25.6 minutes one way. I know some of you are like, no way. If you live on the outskirts like Spicewood or Kyle, then, then you take the average uh, commute is 40 minutes away. And that's the average, right? So it's some are longer, some are shorter. And um, so the national average for people getting to work is 30 minutes a day. Or sorry, 30 minutes one way. So an hour a day. So one hour a day getting to and from your job. And then you have the time that you spend exercising. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, 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 you exercise. The national average is one hour a day. Some of you need to pull it up. Come on. Some of you need to, come on. And then, and then, and then you have all your to-dos, right? You have all the to-do lists. And so you're, you're grocery shopping and you're, the cleaning, the washing, the mowing of your yard, all that stuff. You've you're, 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 you got all these to-dos. And the national average for a to-do list is about two hours, Think of that, two hours a day. It's different stuff every day, but it's two hours of stuff to do. And so that leaves you with four hours, four hours a day that are left over. And we all know where you spend the last four hours of your day. That's right, Netflix. Social media, entertainment in America, it's Instagram, it's every, it's Facebook, it's every, we, we spend, we have an inordinate amount of time comparatively to the rest of the world with discretionary time. But so let's call the combination of, though, if we look at this schedule, let's look at the combination of your job, your to-do list, uh, your exercise, and your commute, right? And let's call all of that work, right? That's work. And by that definition, at least half of every single day is spent doing work. Sociologists say that over the course of your entire life, you'll spend about a third of your life working. And so work devours this huge lion's share of your life, of how you spend your life. So it's important. It's significant. That's why we're talking about it today. Now for some of you, to some of you, work is a curse. You hate your job. You're dreading tomorrow morning. It's only 12.22, and you're like thinking about it, sitting here all day long through the work week. You're looking at your watch and just counting the hours till you get off work. Now, for others of you, for others of you, work is a God. It's a God. Work is where you look for meaning and satisfaction in life. Work is where you get identity. I'm a doctor, or I'm a designer, or I'm a teacher. Work is where you get self-worth, and it's where you're, you validate your existence. Work is where you worship. For many of you, you don't believe me? Think about it. In other words, you make sacrifices for work. You make sacrifice, you, you, you sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your energy, you sacrifice your health, you sacrifice your children, your marriage, you sacrifice your friendships in order to worship your work. 
Now, the Bible tells us a different story for how work should look in our lives. If we start at the beginning of the scriptures, Genesis 1-1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, don't you find it interesting that the first glimpse that we get of God in the scriptures is he's working. He's working. He's creating. He's designing, engineering, inventing. He's sculpting the world. If you go down 25 verses, just go down in that chapter, 25 verses, you can see in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Everybody say likeness. We are like, made like God so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and, and the, all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That word rule in the original Hebrew language, it means to reign or to have dominion. To have dominion. In other words, humans are the kings of the world. <laughs> Right? The, the humans are ruling and reigning over creation. That's the original design. That's the original purpose. Verse 27 and 28 actually continues the idea. So God created mankind in his own image, the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Verse 28 says, God blesses them. God blessed them, it says. Now notice, notice that the first thing God does with humans is he blesses them. Because this is who God is. God's in the blessing business. He wants to bless people. Why? Because he's, his desire is that you would know him and you would understand his love and his grace and his purpose. And so the question then is what's the blessing? What's he blessing? Well, verse 28, the rest of it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Ooh, fun word to know and say, subdue. It, it, subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, that word subdue, it has a unique meaning underneath it. In the original Hebrew language, it has the meaning of to wrestle with. To wrestle with and to wring profit from it. And so do you see the picture? Get the picture. Kings and queens ruling and reigning over the earth, wrestling with it, wringing out profit from it. If you go one more chapter to chapter 2, Verse 15, it says here, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, isn't it also interesting that the first picture of a human that we get in the Scriptures is that he's working. He's working. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's subduing. He's wrestling with creation. There's this space that he is intended to flourish in, that God's given, and he's, he's going to subdue it and flourish in it. Now, I don't know about you or kind of your life, but I can tell you when I was a teenager working at Wendy's with the goofy little hat, 
I wasn't thinking about ruling and reigning anything except the fry basket, the fry station. And to be fair, it's a dangerous job. Hot grease, you're pulling out the fries, you're throwing them into the basket over here. When I was a young man from college, home from college, working at Thriftway as a bag boy, bagging groceries, I wasn't subduing anything except for maybe frozen vegetables because I couldn't figure out which bag they go in. When I was a young husband and a father, a young father, I was working in a church, a large church, and I, I don't know that I understood what I was wrestling with other than my ego and my desire for accomplishment. Like, I think we get the wrong idea here about work sometimes. And I want you to notice two things out of this passage as we jump into the deep end. I want you to notice how and why humans were created. I want you to know the how and the why of work. See, because number one, you were made to work. You were made to work. It's in your bones. It's in your DNA. It's central to your humanity. Men. You guys, what's the first, when you meet another guy, what's the first question? What do you do? <laughs> what, do what do you mean, what do I do? Yeah, you mean, what, what, do I, what do I do for work? And I think there's this myth that's been perpetuated, floated around the church that says, who you are is important, not what you do. It's a, it's a myth. We emphasize who you are is important, and, and when we say what you do is not important, I don't think that's true according to the scriptures. Because let's be honest, it's true. Who you are is important. Your character, what God is doing on the inside of you is absolutely important. Who you are is significant, but what you do matters as well. It matters a lot. Because what you do for work is central to your role in the earth as an image bearer of God. Made in his likeness, you are reflecting his image in the work that you do. Some of you are like, uh-oh. Listen, this is why very often unemployment is so gut-wrenching. You just feel lost. That's why people who hate their jobs or don't enjoy what they do for work are so miserable. It's why even, even if you're making a load of cash, even if you make a lot of money but you just hate it, it's like something is wrong on the inside. And that's why very often people who retire early are unhappy. Because when you stop working, you stop being fully the human God created you to be. You stop, in a, in a sense, being fully awake and alive in accomplishment or, or work because you were created to work. Now, the cliche is that work is the curse. Like, that's a misnomer. It's absolutely false. But not only is it absolutely false, now check this out. Are you guys still with me? Work is the first blessing of creation. It's the first blessing. There's a long, if you keep reading, you'll see a list of blessings that God has for us. But the first blessing is work. See, number two, I want you to write it down. Work is a blessing, not a curse. Work is a blessing, not a curse. Now, I know 
what a bunch of you are thinking right now. I can hear it clattering around in your head. You're like, Pastor, that is easy for you to say. Because you work at church, and you get paid to read your Bible and drink coffee all day. And you get to work with people who love Jesus. Oh, to just work with people who love Jesus. You may be thinking to yourself sitting here as you hear me, I hate work. I hate, the, I hate working with the people who cuss and curse every day, every sense that comes out of their mouth. I have to work outside where it's 150 degrees. You might be thinking to yourself, I have to work with yelling clients and who are never satisfied and always com- complaining. And you're thinking to yourself, I just hate my job. One staggering statistic that I uncovered is 43% of Americans are unhappy with their job. I found one study that said 77% were unhappy with their job. The point is, this keep, it kind of keeps rising. It fluctuates, but it rises each year, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for this, but for starters, one of the major reasons people are unhappy with their job is explained in the next part of the story in the scriptures. Genesis 3, the next chapter, verse 17, if you want to go there with me. It'll be on the screen. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Nothing but good news here this morning at One Chapel. <laughs> here, here's, here's the thing. God curses the ground. He doesn't curse the work. He doesn't curse the person. The blessing is that God created humans to rule over the earth, to reign over it, and to subdue it. But the curse is now that the ground is harder. It still produces something. It still produces fruit. It still produces harvest. It's just harder. It's harder than it was in the Garden of Eden, which was the perfect environment. The perfect environment where where all all the ground was soft and it had tons of nutrients in it and all the animals played nice. They did. There's something here now as humanity has taken life within their own hands and decided to do what they want to do, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. Now, something happens here. The danger is increasing. The pain and the toil because the ground And what happens is humans, as a result, need to be saved. Saved, rescued, redeemed. Here's what I I want you to see. To put it bluntly, you need to be saved. I need to be saved. We all need to be put back rightly with our creator and with creation. And this is the process that's been going on for thousands of years. 
which is why God steps into humanity. He steps into the human story. How does he do it? As a cloud? As a fire? As an angel? No, as a human himself. His name was Jesus. He steps in. Now check this out. Jesus steps in. Oh. Some of you weren't listening. And now you are. Jesus steps in to do what? To do what Adam was supposed to do. To rule and reign over the earth. And to put every human back into the spot that God made you for. Right with your creator, right with your creation. That's why Jesus came. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2 because here in this book, he's, he's addressing the issues of, of creation and the fall that we just described and sin, and he's talking about it in the light of Jesus coming in the interplay between salvation and work. Check this out, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now look at what the Apostle Paul is doing here in verse 10, because he's retelling the Genesis story. It's a retelling of this idea, because the word handiwork, everybody say handiwork. The handiwork in the original Greek language is poema, which is where we get the word poetry. Poetry. And here the Apostle Paul is referring back to Genesis 1.27, which is a poem where God created male and female. And he's saying that Jesus rescued you. He saved you so that you could be put back into right relationship with the Creator, God, and so that you could be put back to work. He's going to put you back to work because he created good works for you to do. He makes this stunning statement in verse 10 where God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what are good works? That's the real question. What are, what are the good works? Well, here's a couple of definitions, all right? Here's a few definitions from some really smart people, all right? Gary Brashears is the head of the theology department at Western Seminary. He says, work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create shalom. Shalom means peace, means well-being, health, prosperity. John Stott, who is a brilliant theologian, English Anglican priest, he's a noted leader in the body of Christ. He, he says this, work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both in the service of others which bring fulfillment to the worker benefit to the community and glory to God Dorothy Sayers an English crime writer playwright essayist and Christian author here's how she said it she said work should in fact be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself and that man made in God's image check this out should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well, a thing that is well worth doing. I love that. Now, it stands to reason that if there's good work, then there's also not good work, right? 
There, there, are not, there are works that are flat out evil. There's work that leads people into sin. There's work that doesn't bring the world back into the place that God intended. But there is good work, and that's what you and I have been called to. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says God created good work for you to do in advance before you even arrived on the scene, and you're supposed to walk into it. Now, the word that theologians use for this kind of work is vocation. Vocation. Everybody say it. Come on, everybody say it. Vocation. Yeah, see, that's so much better. It's a word that we need to recapture because there's a difference between occupation and vocation. There's a difference between occupation and vocation. Occupation is what you do to make a living. It's your job, and you may love your job or you may hate it. Vocation, on the other hand, may be your occupation, but it may not be. A vocation is a calling from God. And the word vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means a call or summons. He's summoning us to work with him. He's summoning us to good works, collaborating with him. And so vocation could be described as work that fits you, helps others, and glorifies God. Now, if you break it down, break it down into those three things, let's look at it. Fits you means it makes sense. You enjoy it. It fits your DNA. It fits you, your personality and your gifts and, and your talents. And th- I believe there should be moments, no matter what you're doing when you're working, where you feel, I'm, I'm good at this. I can do this. Not in an arrogant way, but in the sense that I was made to do this. Work that helps others means that it's work that creates a world where others can thrive and where others can live in God's presence. Think of the umbrella that that creates. This the big idea that how huge that is, that when you work, part of who you are as a Christian, as a person who follows Jesus, is you are the person who thrives and helps others thrive knowing that God is present. So you don't have to be a doctor or a teacher or a Supreme Court judge to do this. You can be a barista because people need their caffeine. No, you, you, you know, a barista can serve others and create an atmosphere where God's presence is. I don't know about you, but I, I like nice baristas, not mean ones. And there's something extra if you're a barista and you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're a person who follows Jesus, you have an extra something that you can add to the environment. Not just caffeine, something way more powerful. You can build houses and do this. Treat people like God would treat them. You can work on highways and do this and make life better. Oh, for more people who would work on highways in Austin. So you, you, you work that fits, works that helps others, and then work that glorifies God. If we break this down, we're going to look at this idea 
work that glorifies God in the, in the next few weeks. But for a starter, it doesn't mean, here's what I don't want you to think. It doesn't mean that if you're a dentist, you have to etch John 3.16 into every tooth. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're, we're, the, we're, we're talking about something much greater, much more expansive, much more organic Something that's, that's even sort of subversive under, under the surface and not quite so obvious. And the short answer is that you and I, as image bearers of God, we work with him and collaborate him to reshape the world in such a way that people will see his beauty and experience his presence. That's what you're called to do at work. And when it happens, when, because when the world functions in this way that the God intended, whether it's through art or music or architecture or technology, there's just this feeling that the world is humming, like it's working, like it's beautiful, it tastes good, it sounds amazing, it's what it's supposed to do and to be like. And for people who have eyes to see it, when they can see it, and that's kind of God's job, your job is to be a good steward of that work, but when, for people who have eyes to see it, who gets the glory in that moment? You? No, God himself. And so your vocation is work that fits you, helps others, and glorifies God. And remember, your vocation and your job are not always the same. Right? Now, you, we can hope that, the hope is that your job is your vocation, but it's not always that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So you have to realize that through most of human history, people just worked so they could survive. This idea that you could get any kind of like fulfillment from work is a kind of a new idea, right? It was just survival. It was just so that I could have food. And it's, so the American idea, right, freedom and, and the way, the, what we've experienced has given us this concept. But listen, so many people are looking in the wrong place for fulfillment. If it's your job, you may be in trouble. There's a bigger idea here. The problem with the word vocation and calling is that immediately for some of you, your mind truncates what that means and your, your thinking might be, well, God calls people to spiritual stuff. He calls people to spiritual stuff. He calls people to work at churches, but God doesn't call people to work at banks. You might think God, God calls people to be pastors and he calls missionaries to Africa. He doesn't call people to be a landscape architect. But that's where you'd be wrong. He does call you. The reality is that God calls people to all of these things. And for the vast majority of you, your calling is not in here. Right? Like, like you're part of this community and you're part of this church. You are the church of Jesus Christ. But you, you, you need to be mobilized for the vast majority of you. 99% your calling happens outside the walls of these church, this church. Your calling is to be salt and light outside these four walls. Because notice what the, when the Apostle Paul says good works, that he then describes good works. What does he describe it as? He actually doesn't. But we think in our heads, oh, it's teaching the Bible, it's preaching the gospel, it's praying. No. Actually, you do that to have a relationship with God and collaborate with him. That's not, that's not the only good works that he's calling you to do. We need to see our good work 
as our calling from God because there's something that goes on inside of you in your character, in your development, as you work for God and not just for man. Now, there are two lies I just want to expose before we finish up in order to make this happen. We, two lies, we're going to expose them. The first lie comes from outside the church, and it is, number one, work is a means to an end. Work's just a means to an end. In other words, you don't work to work, you work for money. You make money so you can pay the bills, do what you want to do. Save up for the vacation, that's it. So if you won the lottery today and you won $10 million, would you go to work tomorrow? And so many people would say, no way, are you out of your mind? I'm not going back to that place. Is If that's what you think, that you may have bought into the lie. Because work has a greater meaning than that. Just getting money. You don't understand the theology of work, what God's doing inside of a person, what he's doing as you are creating an atmosphere in that place. If you think work is a means to an end, you think work is a way to make money, but it's not true. Money is a byproduct of work, of course. This, is, this really is how the American dream sort of devolved into this idea. I want to make as much money as I can, as quickly as I can, so I can retire and play golf in Florida. Like, I know so many people who have tried to work the American dream and, and they got out of work and by 40 or 45 or 50 and they are miserable. Why? Because the lie is work, we work to live. But the truth is you live to work. Because it's part of you. You can just write that there in the sign in the margin because it's so good the lie is we work to live the truth is you live to work you live to do good works you live to be an expression of God's collaboration to restore the planet to make an impact to to invest in the people all around you you were created by God to work to create a world in which humans can thrive the second lie comes from within the church and it is this idea that the sacred is separate from the secular the sacred and secular divide. This, this is the idea or the myth that certain kinds of work are spiritual and matter to God and other things are, are, are important in eternity, but, but that other kinds of work, things that we just do randomly in our lives, they're not spiritual, they don't matter to God, and, and they're not eternally significant. Some of you practically end up living that way. You come to church to do your spiritual thing, and then during the week you're doing your job thing. Actually, I believe that's a lie. It's a lie you're living out, and you've got you've to uncover it. You've got to burst through it. For example, what I'm doing right now is teaching the Bible, and it's, you think it's spiritual, and it really matters. But listen, barista-ing is also spiritual, whether you like it or not. There is something that you need to get in your head as you're doing the work that is in front of you that you're doing it for a greater purpose, for God himself to represent him in this earth. And, and this lie that there's a sacred and secular difference, it's embedded into our Western consciousness. It goes all the way back to Plato, before Jesus. Plato, he's the, he divides the world into these two things and everybody buys it, buys it, but it's flat out not true. For example, did you know that there's not a word for spiritual in the Hebrew language? It's not in there. Why? Because... To the Hebrews, to the people of God, all of life is spiritual. 
all of life is spiritual. All of life matters to God. Everything you do. And, and the, the struggle for us is we don't, we don't think certain things matter. Oh, what happens here on Sunday matters. What happens tomorrow, maybe at my job, maybe that doesn't matter. No, it matters. When you mow your lawn, it matters to God how you do it, what you do. The problem is that we compartmentalize life and we want to put our spiritual life over here and then we want to put our work over here, our marriage over here, our money over here, our kids, our free time. We kind of separate it all. Our sexuality over here, our entertainment's over here. But listen, everybody, it doesn't work that way and here's why. Because life is holistic. It all goes together. It all matters to God. I think if you were to ask Jesus, (laughs) if you would go back in time and ask Jesus, how's your spiritual life? He'd be like, what? (laughs) <laughs> the phrase is never used even one time. And now, the, how the Spirit of God is working through you, yeah, that's a concept Jesus would get. And he would espouse. And he would embrace. All of your life matters. And the problem, what happens when you see your spiritual life over there and, and your non-spiritual life over here is you eject God from the vast majority of your schedule that we looked at at the front. You can't eject God from any of it. Listen, everybody, God wants to be involved in every minute of your day. The life and the power of walking with Jesus. It's like, it's like people come alive and then they think what Jesus really wants for them is to quit their job and go to seminary. No. No, seminary could be the worst thing you could do. You quit your job and become a pastor. Quit your job and work for the church, or at least for a nonprofit. It's really big right now. We all know Jesus would never work for money, right? We all know that his carpentry shop was pro bono, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, what, what, wait, wait, what, what did you just say? For 99% of you, your call is not to become a pastor, but to be a banker, to be a carpenter, to be a teacher, a mom, a dad, an architect, a person that your career is this vehicle that God is using, his calling, he's summoning you to collaborate with him in life to present the kingdom of God to the people all around you, and that matters. You and I are called to this. We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. So close your eyes, bow your head. And we're going to come to the Lord's table. And I want, you to, I want you to come to this table because it's so significant, right? Like Jesus did something. He worked. The work of the cross. He welcomes you to this table. And there's a rescue. There's a There's a redemption here in this moment as we come to this table of communion. And I want the words of Jesus to echo maybe in your mind as you come forward to this table where Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yoke is is an instrument of work. He said, I want you to work the way I work, not the way you work want to work I want you to unleash your burdens that you're carrying maybe today even about your work bring them to this table and and exchange them for the 
the burdens that Jesus gives because he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This bread represents his broken body for your wholeness and healing. This cup represents the blood of Jesus spilled out for the forgiveness of sins and failures and foolishness. Come to this table and have a fresh start. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this table that represents your love. You've invited us to it. And so, Lord, would you speak to us now as we come? Speak to us about our work. Speak to us about our life. Speak to us about our our segmenting and how easy it is for us to compartmentalize. Lord, we want all of you. We know you want all of us. So, Lord, do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. See you next time.